Lord, we love you so much. God, as we get together and we sing, we're not just singing, Father. We're worshiping you. We're lifting up your name. We're so unbelievably thankful for what you've done for us, what you do through us, what you give us, how you protect us, how you look over us. And so today, God, as we worship you, Lord, we just pray that it pleases your heart. We pray that it fills you up. God, that you would be glorified in our lives, God. Lord, we worship you today in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen, and then amen. Man, that's some good worship. I, uh, I hope that you guys were worshiping with us, that you're off your feet, and that you may sit down now. Um, I know that it's weird to have you sitting at home and me telling you what to do, but... Uh, it's just because I'm used to doing it. Um, I'm glad you guys are watching today. Uh, we are a church, and so I never know like who's watching, whether there's Facebook people or YouTube people or whatever, but there's just a, a few little uh, announcements that I want to make. So if you're watching this and you're from Faith and Victory Church, you'll know what's going on. The first announcement I want to tell you is that uh, this Thursday in the city of Auburn, Washington, at 7 o'clock, we're going to be meeting outside of our city hall for worship and prayer. Um, we've got, uh, I told the mayor's office we were doing it, and they didn't have any problem with it, so that's what we're doing. So if you want to come down and worship God and pray over our city and everything that's going on in this world, we're going to be down there. So we encourage you to come at 7 o'clock on Thursday. Um, it's going to be great. So please plan on coming to that. Also, for now until hopefully Jesus comes back, we're doing 9 and 11 o'clock services. We've got in-person service uh, outside in the parking lot or in your car. It's kind of a mixed group of people. Uh, you're more than welcome to come to that at 9 o'clock if you feel so inclined. Please come, 9 o'clock. The online service is going to be at 11 o'clock. Uh, and, and this is going forward. So even as we move in through summer and the fall, whenever we get back to normal, um, inside or outside the building, whatever the services look like, the times are going to be nine and 11. We're not going back to three services. Uh, that was my idea two years ago and it was a horrible idea. So, uh, (laughs) we said we would try it. We, we tried it. We, we really, really tried, but I don't think there was anybody that liked it. Um, the services are too fast. There's no uh, changeover in between where you get to see people. Uh, it's just rushed. Uh, that being said, I know that um, moving forward, our church is going to continue to grow. And these, th- this room is not that big and it's going to be crowded and that's okay. Uh, I've been meeting with HVAC companies this week. We're going to be upgrading our HVAC so we can get a lot more cool air in here during the summer. We're also upgrading our HVAC to get these uh, UV scrubbers on all of our HVAC equipment. It removes like 99% of contaminants, so it's going to recirculate the air. For those that are watching that do children's ministry, that means we're going to have air conditioning downstairs as well uh, to be able to uh, scrub that air. And it's just going to be a nice, cool, scrubbed environment, okay? So uh, get ready for it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, honey, did I miss any other announcements? That was it, right? We, we, we used to have announcement videos. We'll probably get back to that at some point. Uh, maybe. We'll see. If not, maybe we won't, huh? Maybe we'll take those off the table too. Uh, maybe we'll worship in the dark. You don't know. We'll just change things however we want to do it. Because that's what we do. Change things. Just stay flexible, man. It's all going to be okay. 
All right, 2 Samuel 19. We're going to be in 2 Samuel 19, verses 1 through 8. Uh, you can follow along with your Bibles. I think it'll be on the screen as well. Let's, uh, let's pray over this message. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you. In the mighty name of Jesus, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, um, I, I need you to speak through me this morning. I need your word to go forth. Father, let this word change everybody's life, including mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Samuel 19. And Joab was told, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee into battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice. Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, today you have disgraced all of your servants who today have saved your life lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your, of your wives and the lives of your concubines and that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants for today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today that it would have pleased you well. Now therefore arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, no one will stay with you this night and that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate and they told all the people saying, there's the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king for everyone of Israel had fled to his own tent. So what's going on in this story? Um, if, if you are just joining us, let me give you a, a quick synopsis so you can be up to speed. David is the rightful king of Israel uh, and, and his son Absalom has taken over his throne. And so over the last couple of weeks, we talked about how Israel was going back to, to into Jerusalem to get the throne back. David sent his guys in and said, deal kindly with my son, because his son had been the one that taken over uh, the kingdom of Israel. They didn't listen. They killed his son. And so now <clears throat> the head of David's army is this guy, Joab. Uh, his son, David's son is Absalom. And now th- this is after the battle. Uh, they're, they're getting back into Jerusalem. And David is weeping over his son Absalom. And so Joab comes to him and it says, why are you weeping over your son? Like the way that you're acting right now is you're telling everybody that you hate them and you love your enemy. So all your friends think you hate them. All your enemies think that you love them and you're not showing real good leadership here. And so then Joab kind of continues to chastise him and says, you're worthless and you're no good and you're going to lose everything. And so quit weeping, get off your feet go outside of the gate and begin to talk to your people so that they can be comforted because they just went through this battle and they need the words of their king. So that's, that's what's going on in the story. Uh, the, the title of the message today is uh, love your enemies and hate your friends. And you'll understand it as we walk through it of why we mean that. Uh, we're we're going to just walk through it piece by piece. And so let, let's start with the, 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 the parts that jumped out this week. Uh, starting in verse five, it says, Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, today of you have disgraced all of your servants who have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines. Uh, uh, Joab comes to talk to David and he is upset with David. Why is he upset with David? Because David is weeping. They just went through this battle. Uh, People died, including Absalom. And so Joab comes to David and says, the way that you're acting right now, 
you're saying you hate your friends and you love your enemies because you're crying over your son, Absalom, but he was our enemy. He deserved to die. And David is weeping and Joab doesn't understand why. Um, David uh, had wanted Absalom to be dealt with kindly because it was his son. He loved him. And all he had asked is like, hey, we can still take back the land, but would you just deal with my son kindly? But the people didn't listen to them. And also, I think that part of the reason why David is crying right now is because he's crying over the fact that this whole outcome is based on the actions that he took with Bathsheba. You can go back and read about it. We don't have time to get into it. But there's a prophecy that said the sword isn't going to depart from your house because David had chose sin. Um, so he's suffering the effects of the sin, even though God had forgiven him. And so Joab says him even more so, he says, you have disgraced all of your servants. Joab's attacking him. Why? And here's the difference. Joab is a man of war and David is a man after God's own heart. And so these two hearts are being exposed during this time that Joab is expect Joab is expecting David to have a mindset of a warrior and, and, and a, a mind of retribution. And so he just chastises him and he says, you know, man, you've disgraced yourself. You've disgraced God. Everything that you're doing is a disgrace. And, and so that, the first point I want to make with you this morning is this, is that pleasing God is never a disgrace. Pleasing God is never a disgrace. When, when Joab comes and disgrace, disgrace, bleh, disgraces David, it's because Joab doesn't understand David's heart. David's heart is to please God. David's heart is to live according to God's word. David's heart is to do the right thing. That's not Joab's heart. Joab's heart is to be submitted to the king. Joab's heart is to protect the kingdom, which isn't a bad thing. It's just not David's heart. And so there's this misunderstanding that happens. Joab goes so far as to tell David, his king, you have disgraced yourself and disgraced God. And so my encouragement to you today is that it's never a disgrace when you serve God ever. It's never a disgrace. If you're living to please God, if you're, if you're living to, uh, 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 do things that, that God is going to love and God is going to be pleased with, you cannot be controlled by other people that tell you that it's a disgrace to serve the Lord because it is never a disgrace to serve the Lord. See, David's heart in Psalm 1914 was, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David wanted to please God and he showed it through his whole life. Now, if, if you're, if you're just joining us, you may not know the whole story of, of David, but David's a righteous dude, man. Like he's lived a, a life that time and time again, he's shown that he's got a, a heart after God. You know, he, he killed bears to, to protect his sheep and he killed Goliath to protect his people. And he didn't kill Saul because he knew it was wrong. He, he repented when he knew what he had done wrong with Bathsheba. I mean, the whole trajectory of his life is that he's trying to please God. And then Joab comes in and says, you know what, man, you are a disgrace when all David is trying to do is to please God. Absalom is his son. It's his kin. Uh, he's, he's the rightful heir of Israel. And, and, and David just wants to honor God. He, he doesn't want to be a man of war. He doesn't want to be a man of death. Joab comes and questions his heart because David didn't respond how he thought he should have. Now, this is a distinction that I want you to understand is that when you attempt to go and please God, other people will misunderstand what you're trying to do because they don't have the heart that you have to please God. And so then they'll say things to you like, oh, well, a, God, a Christian wouldn't do that. 
or a person that believes in God wouldn't do that. When they themselves are not Christians, when they themselves don't believe in God and they're putting something on you with their idea of what it may look like when it's nothing connected to God and his ways. And so if you're doing something that's pleasing God, if you're doing something that lines up with God's word, it is not a disgrace. It's not a disgrace. Galatians 1.10 says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. That's what Paul said. Paul said, it's impossible to please God and please man at the same time. Paul said, if I'm going to be a bond servant of Christ, I cannot be a bond servant of men's opinions. I can't allow other people to dictate how I am going to live my life and then come around and disgrace me when I'm trying to honor God. David wanted to please God, not Joab. It's very clear. Many, many of you that have been with us have, have remembered David had opportunity to kill Saul and he didn't take it. He chose to say, do you want, I want to honor God. I'm not going to kill Saul, even though I have a right to kill him. And even though I could kill him, I'm not going to do it. I love second Corinthians five, nine. It says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent to be well pleasing to him. Now, the context of that verse is the context for you and I is that at all times we have to live our lives pleasing to him. We have to make that our ga- our, our, our aim, our goal. Am I living a life that's pleasing to God? Because if I am, it's not a disgrace. What does it mean to you? Do you feel like serving God and living for him is a disgrace? Do you feel disgraced? Are you afraid? Do you worry more about what people think than when God, than what God thinks? Because I'll tell you for myself, as we've walked through these last couple months, we are living in bizarro world. We're living in a world I've never seen or heard from before. I mean, literally last night, my wife and I were sitting down to watch a movie. And this is a movie from like last year. And it's like government agents in the midst of a pandemic must infiltrate a city. And I was like, I'm living that. Like, I don't, I don't need to watch that. Uh, Let let me watch some other thing. That's like, you know, rainbows and flowers and jumping around or something. But I don't, I'm living that reality. I don't need to watch it on a movie. It's bizarro world. The things that are going on are just insane. But in the midst of that, I know that for myself, I'm trying to honor God with my word, actions, and deeds. And and the world around me makes it seem like if you're living for Jesus, that you're a disgrace. The world around seems to be saying, you know what? You can live however you want as long as it's not living to God's holy standards. But here's what I want to remind you is that everybody else in this world cannot see you, but God is watching. God knows what you're thinking, what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're acting. And we should be living in such a way to please him and him alone and not care what anybody else thinks. Matthew 12, 10, 28 says, and do not fear those who kill the body and but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus made it very clear. You cannot serve God and, and the devil at the same time. You just can't do it. And so you have to make a choice. Am I going to be afraid of facing God? Or am I going to be afraid of facing some worldly accusers that don't like me already, don't understand me and want me to live a way that's contrary to the way that I, that the Bible teaches me friend, we are to live, to please God. And inevitably, when you do so, it will not make sense to the world. 
It was never meant to. It was never meant to live a way that the world comes around and goes, oh yeah, this is great. We love the way that you're living. The Christianity from 2,000 years ago has always been countercultural. It's always been away from what the culture does, away from what the world does. The ways of God are not the ways of the world. The truth is, is that some of you worship the opinions of men. You care too much what other people think. You literally bow down before the, the opinions of men and say, I will live however you require me to live just so you'll like me. Just so you'll think that I'm good enough or I'm cool enough. You'll invite me to whatever it is that you're doing because I can't stand it when people don't like me. You cannot have that mindset and serve God at the same time. It's just not going to work out. John twelve forty three. for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. I will tell you, you should be living your life in such a way that, that you know that God is watching and that God is pleased with you. Because the truth is, is that at the end of the day, when you die and you have to face your maker, you're going to stand alone for your actions, your thoughts, your deeds, and you're going to answer to God anyway. So you should be living for him in the first place. When you do what is right and they call you a disgrace and it's not true, I want to tell you, man, God is pleased. And that's all that really matters is that God is pleased. That's all. You, you, don't, you don't have to worry if the Joabs of your life agree with you or not. You don't have to worry if they even understand. Like you, you live a certain way. I, do, you, do you send out a weekly newsletter to everybody that knows you so you can justify your decisions to them and say, well, this is why I chose to do this or this is why I chose to do that. You owe nobody an explanation. You owe nobody reasoning of why you did what you did. You owe it to God because you answer to him. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And if you're living, worrying about what the Joabs of your life think, you are never going to make it. And I guarantee you, some of you that are watching this right now, you, you have, you have second guessed yourself. You have thought more, uh, longer than you should have about what somebody else was going to think about something that you knew that God had told you to do and a way that you were supposed to live. It's not a way to live friend. Not at all. When you live a gospel centered existence, you are not going to please the world. You were supposed to not be pleasing the world back in December before all this stuff started. You're supposed to not be pleasing God from the day that you got saved. The rules have not changed. The world may change and it's going to continue to change, but the rules of the Lord do not change. Live to please him and him alone. All those small and large decisions that you make, and I know that you're making them, you choose to not say something. You choose to not go there. You choose to not get involved with that. And the world is like, ah, and you, don't worry about them. God is pleased. God is pleased with you. He's pleased with how you're living your life if it's according to his word. No one else may appreciate it. Please, I want to encourage you with this today. This is God speaking through me directly to you right now. God is saying, I am pleased with you. I'm pleased with you if you're living according to my word. And, and, and you have to remember that. You have to remember that God is pleased with you because that's the only person that you're living for. Friend, uh, society, if you haven't already noticed, we're going to be moving more into a realm where God's followers are going to be chastised. Eventually, the mob will run out of people to attack and they're going to end up at the door of the church. 
It just is, man. If they truly knew what we believed and how we lived, they're tearing down buildings and taking over cities and monuments and everything else. And if that's their response to them, it's going to come for us eventually. And so we have to settle in our hearts right now. Who am I living for? Who is it that I want to live for? And if you want to live for God, you're going to make it. You're not going to give up. You're going to be appreciating the fact that that they may think that you're a disgrace, but you're not disgracing God. Acts 5.29, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Because here's the second part of it. We don't live like the world. We don't live like the world at all. In verse six, it says, and that you love your enemies and hate your friends for you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. See, that's what happens when you live according to God and his word is that people misunderstand you because you do not believe, think, or act as the world acts. They're never going to understand. They didn't understand you before. They're not going to understand you after because the way that you live is not a way that the world understands the the world. In In the world's mind, they believe in retribution. They, they believe if uh, an eye for an eye. They think, you know, if this person does this, then this person deserves that. And, and that's not the way of what the, 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 wor- the, world, the world thinks that way. It's not the way that God thinks. We don't get what we deserve. <laughs> that's the way God's economy works. God's economy is forgive people. The, 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 their, their economy is retribution, destruction, anger, frustration. These are the currencies of the world, not the righteous. And if you look around at what's happening, it is retribution, destruction, anger, frustration. And those are the currencies of the Antichrist, not the currencies of the Lord. The currencies of the Lord are love, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, self-control. And, and, and so you, you have to look and say, when, when you choose love and peace and patience, kindness, the world is going to look at you and say, grab your pitchfork, grab your flames, let's go and do this. And you're like, no, that's not God's economy. That's not how God operates. God's economy is Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will reap, you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. That's in the Old Testament. Don't unhitch your faith to the old, from the Old Testament. God's ways were not the ways of the world. And you see this through the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, those of you that know your Bibles, even in the Old Testament, there was this guy, Joseph, his brothers sold him into slavery. He went to go work for the Pharaoh. And even though his brothers had tried to fake his killing, sell him into slavery, he still wanted to protect his family. He still wanted them to be fed during a famine. And and, and they, they didn't understand it. They said, oh, we wouldn't have even treated ourselves this way, but here you are treating us better than we deserve. That's the economy of God. The economy of God is not getting what you deserve and treating people better than they deserve based on their actions. Joseph didn't hold a grudge. He didn't want them to die. He wanted them to live even though they deserve to die. The truth is, is that many people who claim Christ love the world more than they love the Lord. They just love the world. They love what the world does, what the world has, what it's about, what it can provide. 
And then when all of these uh, monuments and idols that they've built to themselves begin to get destroyed, they're upset. Like, oh, I can't go down to the mall and worship, you know, the God of Mammon. Oh, why I can't bow down to them this weekend because they shut down my mall. Who cares? You shouldn't have been worshiping American com- consumerism in the first place. Like all of these idols that people have worshipped are slowly being chipped away and eventually there's not going to be anything left. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I hope they all get thrown down in such a way that finally people see that we, we serve the one true God, that all these other things that people have hoped in, like their health and their economy and all these other things cannot be things that they can be trusted in, that you can only trust in the Lord our God. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Five people that are here, that would be a great time to... Amen. amen. I hope that, <laughs> hope that you people at home are amen. And thank you. Appreciate it. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. That's what the Bible says. It's so contrary to how most people think. Most people see their enemy fall and they're like, yeah, that's awesome. Do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Friend, these are difficult heart issues that we must learn to control to be able to please God because we're not like the world. How we operate and how the world operates will never be the same and they will never understand it at all. But these are heart issues that we have to work on. 1 Corinthians 10.3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, pulling down strongholds. When people say, Christians, why aren't you fighting? We are fighting, but you just don't see the way that we fight. We fight on our knees. We fight before God. We go before him and say, Lord, have your way. Lord, bring your vengeance. Lord, bring your truth. Let your way be above the ways of this world. We don't war according to the flesh. Our weapons are not carnal, but mighty. How the people of God respond, live, and act to please the Lord will never look like the world looks. It will never agree with the world and, the, and its ways and means. Why? Because we are not of this world. We're not of this world at all. And so uh, we have to remind ourselves of that. What does it mean to you? Have you settled in your heart that the world isn't going to understand or agree with you if you aren't living up to the ideals of what they want you to believe? And, and, and this is a question that I want you to settle in your heart. Because you cannot have a heart that wants to please the world and please God at the same time. You must settle this matter in your heart. You must settle the matter that the world is not going to understand you. The world is not going to agree with you. And they're not going to applaud you for your works. It's, and and, and it's, the, it's the big stuff and it's the simple stuff. It's when you don't get upset with that coworker that everybody else is upset with. It's when, when you're in a relationship with somebody who hurts you and you forgive them and, and you want to uh, reconcile and you want to move forward. The world does not operate in that. And so if in those things, in all things, they're going to look at us and say, what are you, what are you guys doing? It's like, even now with, with in our state and they, they, they want to restrict singing at church. And, and I always, every time they say it, I laugh. I say, great. We restrict singing at our church as well because we don't sing here. We worship here. That's what we do. We're, we're not just sitting around s- singing songs to ourselves. 
We are, we are worshipers. We, we, are, we are audibly lifting our voice melodically to a living God that deserves to have our praise and worship. We're not, we're not mere, merely singing. So when they restrict our singing, I'm fine with that because I don't allow singing here either. We only allow worship. That's what we allow here. Worship to a living God. And they'll never understand that. They'll be like, but that's singing. I'm like, no, no, no. Singing is, uh, you know... Twist and shout, twist and shout. That, that's singing, right? You're just singing a little ditty and just, hey, you know, we don't do that here. We worship a living God here. That's what we do. As you live under Christ and according to his word, more and more the world is not going to understand you. You've got to settle this in your heart. Read your Bible, man. When you read what the early Christians went through, it's, it's everything that we will continue to go through as Christians. You have to be okay with it. Jesus said in Luke six twenty seven. but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Do, do you hear the standards of Jesus? If someone is your enemy, love them. That's so countercultural. You'd be around people like, oh, don't you hate that guy? Or like, oh, I hate that guy. I can't stand him. And, and that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, you've got to love that person. And people say, well, that ain't right. No, it's completely right according to the scriptures. And when Jesus says, love them, it's not this like, yeah, yeah, I love them. Like really love. It's a real love. The, the person that you can't stand, the person that you despise, he wants you to love them. Love is, love is uh, in, in, in the, the culture of the world, love is reserved for those people we like, we agree with, we enjoy being around our friends and our family. But Jesus says, do you know what? Love the people that hate you, love your enemies. And furthermore, he says, do good to them. This is one of the, one of the reasons why I, I get so frustrated when anybody says about a politician on Facebook, I hate them. I wish they would die. And then they're like, Hey, see me at church on Sunday. I'm like, really? Like, I don't care whether I agree with your politics or not. You're still a human. You don't deserve to die just because you're inept, you know? Sure hope you guys don't want to take me out back and kill me because of my ineptitude. But that's people's heart. They feel justified to say this person is, is an idiot and they deserve to die. And, and there are all these other things. That's not the language of Jesus. The language of Jesus is love those people. Actually do good to them. Americans want to bring retribution. That's the American ethos. But, but Jesus would not agree with the sentiment. He would demand that you would forgive them, not give them what they deserve. This, this is the bedrock truth of our gospel, of our truth, of what we believe. And that we believe that we don't get what we deserve, that Christ forgives us and he blesses us. And in turn, we should give that back to other people, that we don't give them what they deserve as well. Friend, we are bound to standards of conduct, not just in our actions, but in our hearts. And this is one of the hardest parts about being a Christian is that you can start to act right. And then your heart is wrong. People around you will think that you're right because you're acting right, but only you can determine whether or not your heart is right. And so I encourage you to lay yourself bare before the living God and say, God, if there be anything in me that needs to change, Lord, move those things out, remove those cobwebs, remove that mold, remove those dirty parts. Because if you're really honest with God, you know, as well as I do, that there are parts of your heart that needs to change. There's parts of you that need to be different. And I, and, and I preach this to you today 
not from a position of like, I love all my enemies. I mow their lawns and I do good to them. No, man, there's some evil thoughts that I have in my brain of utter and complete fiery, floody destruction upon them. Amen. Does anybody else feel that way? (laughs) And so I'm like, well, I feel that way. I probably assume that some of y'all feel that way too. And so when I go before God and I'm like, God, I hate those people. I wish they would die. Let's pray together. God's like, son, it's not what I desire from you. (laughs) Roll it back. Okay, let's get some love in there. Let's get some service in there. Let me show you some of these scriptures that show you how I want you to treat your enemies. I don't want you doing how everybody else does. You're my son. I expect more out of you. When Joab says, you love your enemies, but you hate your friends, he's actually echoing the words of Jesus. Jesus is interesting. Jesus tells us in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes after, comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Honey, I hate you. Jesus said, I want to be his disciple. No, that's not what he's saying. Okay. But what Jesus is saying in that is not, baby, I don't hate you. I love you. Um, Jesus is not saying you have to hate them. It's like the same thing when Jesus says, pluck your eye out. We we don't have eye plucking services here. Okay. Because all of you would have no eyes at this point. We don't have hand cutting off services either because none of you would have hands at this point either. And so we don't have hating services either. The, the, the imagery that Jesus is trying to use here is that I've got to, Jesus is saying, I've got to use these strong words so you'll so desperately understand who I want you to please. I want you to please me. I don't want you to please them. And so that means that you have to actually have so much distrust of, or not distrust, but so much disdain for the opinions of your mother and your father and your wife and your children. Don't love them more than you love me. Because if you've been trying to serve God, like I have, there's times when other people in your life will always try to pull you in another direction that's away from the things of God. And you have to live only to God. And so when Joab comes and says, you know what I think? I think that you hate the people that love you and you love your enemies. David's kind of prophetically like, well, that's what Jesus is going to say too, bro. Cause that's how you perceive it. Because I'm living a life that's pleasing to God because the rest of the world wants me to destroy my enemies and wants me to only love those. Jesus said, if you love those that love them, what good is it to you? Isn't that what the world does? Love those that hate you and serve those that persecute you. Why? Because pleasing God is the most important thing. God is not a God of, uh, of retribution. He's a God of forgiveness, love, and mercy. That's how he deals with us. When we repent of our sins, he forgives us and he sets us free. And he expects us to do that to other people as well. It's not like the world. The world's never going to understand it. They're going to chastise you for it. They're going to disgrace you for it. And so you just got to settle in your heart and say, you know what? I just want to please uh, God. I'm not going to live like the world. Here, here's the last point of it. You guys getting something out of this? It's good. Here's the third part of it. Joab goes before David and, and, and there's, there's kind of a rebuke that's going on here that Joab's coming to David and he's saying, you know what, man, get up, quit acting like this. And, and David was right in weeping, but he's not right in carrying on. And so even though Joab may not be in the right place, he was, he was right to help David and say like, you know, man, quit crying, get off your feet. Your nation is waiting outside of the gate and they need to hear from you. 
They need to hear your encouragement because they were fighting for you in the kingdom and they may not understand, but they need your words of comfort so that, and and Joab says, if you don't do this, you're going to lose them, man. So watch this, uh, verse 19, seven and eight. He says, now, therefore arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate and they told all the people saying, there is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king for everyone of Israel had fled to his tent. See, all the people came and David spent or David went and to his people. And then what did he do? He spoke comfort to them. Why? Because they may not have understood all the details. They didn't understand maybe what the war was about or about David. I mean, this isn't the internet where they all just kind of check their phones and go, hey, this is what David's doing. They may not have understand. And so in this moment, they needed the words of their king to direct them. Now, Proverbs 25, 11 and 12 says this, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. See, Israel had gone through a lot and they needed the comfort of their king. They needed his words. And so when David goes out to speak to his people, his words are literally going to be like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Now it's, it's a word picture picture of how valuable it is. But, but think about like right now, for those of you that are normal attenders, normal watchers, when, when I, not as I, as Matt, Matt, a preacher, but I, as, as a pastor speak the words of God over your life, it does something to you. It, it encourages you. It challenges you. It lifts you up. And, and it's interesting how the, the spoken verbal language does that. And we've all been in that place before where we've gone to another human and we've said, would you just encourage me? Would you just tell me what I want to hear, man? I'm just down in the dumps. And, and, and somebody's words can literally lift us up. They, 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 they'll give us those goosebumps on our arms and they'll make us feel like we can do things that we didn't think that we could do before. And so David goes and he's speaking those words over his nation as comfort. They're, they're, they're worried and they're scared. And the, and the king is able to come and speak these words over it. And we all know this. We know this about words. We just forget it. We forget that what we say and how we say it matters. Proverbs fifteen twenty three: a man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Yes. So what does it mean to you this morning? This is what it means to you. Are you speaking with your mouth? And what are you speaking to yourself and to others? What comes out of your mouth? Do you choose your words? Now, when I ask these questions, they're not just kind of like this out there reflect, like I'm literally wanting you to think this in your mind, like, man, what do I say? And who do I say it to? What comes out of my mouth? Because how you speak and what you say affects your relationships it affects your work. It affects your family. It affects your social media. Listen, if you are one of these people that thinks that what you type on social media doesn't matter, you are lying to yourself because it does. Words matter, whether they're typed, whether they're, I mean, you've written a nasty letter to somebody at some time in your life. We probably all have. Those words matter just as much as spoken words. You must watch what you say and how you say it because it matters. This is what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, 
but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. That, that means that there, you don't get a day off with your tongue. You don't get a day off with your mouth. You don't get a day where you're just like, well, today I'm going to really tell these people what I think. Now, if you're anything like me, I've felt that way many times. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Yeah. Some days I, I always pray to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, can you rewrite your words? So we get one day off. Cause I'd, I wouldn't sleep that day. Like I would like, I would go and I would say everything that I've wanted to say for the whole entire year to everybody. I wanted to say it to it, you know, pepper and a little bit of other stuff, but that's not the heart of God. God says, you know what? Shut your mouth, man. Just be quiet. And if you're going to say something, you better make sure that you've thought, thought about what you're going to say. I, I, I give relationship to advice to people. And so I'm going to give you some free relationship advice today. This is going to change your relationships free of charge. Okay. If you have something to say to somebody, and I say this when I meet with people all the time, you have to say what you're going to say at the right time with the right, uh, at the right place with the right attitude, right place, right time, right attitude. And if you notice how your relationships go sour, it's typically because you said something wrong at the wrong time, at the wrong place with the wrong attitude. You hadn't ingested it and had the Lord deal with you first before you lovingly went and talked to somebody and said, you want, can we talk about this thing? And so uh, in this season, I want you to really pay attention to, are you saying what you need to say at the right place, at the right time and the right attitude? There are things that need to be said, but not everything needs to be said by you. You ruin your relationships when you don't control your tongue. You destroy it. And you know, there's no relationship that you have that you don't hold your tongue on. Maybe your dog. That's what I miss about having my dog. I used to tell him everything that I ever wanted to say because I knew he'd never say anything back. But in your relationships, you can't live that way. James 3, 2, it says, For if we all stumble in many things, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle the whole body. Uh, James is saying, if you control your, bo- control your tongue, you control the rest of your life. And you know this in your relationships, man. You know it. And, and, and for whatever reason, we just seem to think that our words don't matter when our words truly matter. For those of you that are married, you've learned this either through success, failure, pain, or pleasure, that what you say to your spouse matters. And if you're married, you know that you do not say everything to your spouse that comes through your head. Because if you do not go well for you, my wife's going to say me after church, what are you not telling me? And I ain't going to tell her. I'm going to say it at all. I say nothing. I'm going to follow the word. The word, the word actually says a lot about keeping your mouth shut. There's times to speak up and there's times to say something, but the Bible's very clear that like, if you can just keep your mouth shut, you're going to look more intelligent. You're going to have better relationships. You're going to do better than blathering about with a bunch of like, it's just not going to work at all. Furthermore, shouldn't you use your tongue for edification and not destruction? Because here, here, here's the end of it. We're rounding the corner on this sermon. Listen very closely, please. Don't, don't turn this off yet. We are surrounded right now in some of the most perilous times that my generation have ever seen, ever. People my age in their 40s and everybody below. My kids, it's even worse. For me, it's like the things that I've gone through are like 9-11, the shuttle explosion, <laughs> You know, bomb in Libya back in the 80s, like a couple wars, not to minimize the wars. I'm a army vet. It's fine. 
But, but those are the things that we've kind of gone through. But these are, this is the first thing that's ever happened in our lifetime. I mean, some of the older people, you guys went through the JFK assassination and you went through the turmoil of the 60s and, and, and for even older people have gone through the, the remnants of World War II and the Great Depression, like all these things. But my generation and especially like my kids right now, this is the most uh, horrible thing that they've gone through. And, and it's not that bad, but it's, it's pretty overwhelming, like with COVID and riots and all these other things. And so the people around you right now, man, they need good words. They, they need to be encouraged. They're weary. They, they, they're afraid of their, uh, of their future. They're afraid of sickness and they're afraid of their relationships and their jobs and how they're going to take, take care of their families. In this season, the world needs the words of Christians more than they've ever needed the words of Christians. They need our encouragement. They, they need our peace. We've, we've got real joy and real peace that they can experience through Jesus Christ. And so now we, we need to speak those words now more than we've ever spoken those words before. And so if, if you are not watching your tongue and you're not watching what you're saying, you're doing God in this world a disservice because the, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the workers are few. There, there's great opportunity out there right now to share the truth of the love of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins that, that he offers people. And, and, and it's even now where the sins of the past of America, people want a retribution. There can never be any retribution. There can only be forgiveness. It's all that can happen, man. It's just, it's not going to work unless it's the ways of God. That's, that's all we can do. So be encouraging. Don't be discouraging. They need your encouragement. Lift them up. Isaiah 50 verse four, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Pray that God would teach you how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. Say, God, let that be me. Let me, let me be that person when I'm in the room and I'm around other people that they know that I'm the one that's going to encourage. I'm the one that's going to lift up. I'm not going to jump in to the nonsense. I'm going to jump in with a good word. The Bible says in first Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5, 11, therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Let that be your word. Let that be the word that encourages you this week. This is what I want to leave you with as, as uh, Renee begins to play and we, we close this up. The, the, the points of the, of the, of the, of the sermon are, are very simple. Live to please God and you are not a disgrace. Okay. Understand that the world will never understand you. So just live in a way that pleases him. Love your enemies, serve them. Okay. And be a person that speaks encouraging words. And, and the people around you are going to say, man, you hate, you hate those people that love you. Love your enemies and you hate your friends. That's not true. You're just living according to the Bible. Okay? So live out those scriptures this week, all of us, myself included, in Jesus' name. Now, if you're, if you're watching this service today, before we close, if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to become one today. It's really quite easy. Either you're living for yourself or you're living for God. If you've been forgiven of your sins, you haven't. And so today you have an opportunity to turn away from your sins, turn towards Jesus and say, forgive me of my sins. Let me live for you. And he'll forgive you of everything you've ever done. 
and you'll be able to live uh, with him everlasting. So if you've never made that decision before and you want to make that decision today for the first time, send us a, a, a email, send us a message. We got some information we can send you. When the doors of the church are back open, come back because we want to uh, uh, spend some time with you. Let's pray over this message. Father, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for this message. Lord, I pray for myself and everybody who's watching this right now, God, that we live a life that's pleasing to you, you and you alone, God. When other people come around and they say that we're a disgrace, Father, we, we pray that we would just be pleasing to you, Lord. Help us to live a way that's pleasing you, to love our enemies, to serve those that don't do good to us, Lord, and teach us to keep our mouths shut and only speak what you're allowing us to speak, God. Father, we praise you and we thank you today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. I want to thank you guys so much for watching. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, next week, in person, the parking lot, 9 o'clock, online, 11 o'clock. Share the sermon, change the world. Love you. Have a good Sunday. Bye. Hey, we want to thank you so much.